the problem for developing countries is that they don't have strong welfare systems or a lot of fiscal space. So you get an increase in energy or food prices and it has a very, very visceral and immediate impact. Hello, this is the weekly Tradecast, a new podcast brought to you by the UN Conference on Trade and Development. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at the UN's Trade and Development Report, which warns of worse times ahead if rich countries persist with current policies to fight inflation. Just released, UNCTAD's report says rapid tightening of monetary policy in advanced countries and inadequate multilateral support are pushing the world towards recession and stagnation. The damage could be even more severe than the financial crisis in 2008 and the COVID-19 shock in 2020. But the new report says the world can change course if countries implement the right policies. Joining me now to talk about the risks and the ways to avert a crisis is Richard Kozel-Wright, an economist and author. Richard is director of the Globalisation and Development Strategies Division at UNCTAD. He graduated from the University of Cambridge and is also a keen Arsenal fan. Well, welcome back, Richard. So, Richard, UNCTAD expects slower global economic growth around 2.6% this year, falling to 2.2% next year. And that's even weaker than the pre-pandemic trend. What's gone wrong? Yeah, you said it, Sarah, in a sense. Policy mistakes in the advanced economies is where we see the real problem uh, currently in the global economy. I mean, if you look back a year ago, all the talk was about resilience and fairness. That's now changed to a singular focus amongst policymakers on inflationary threats. And in particular, the idea that we're in a world now of too much money chasing too few goods. And we don't think that's the cause of inflation. And I think the remedy is now uh, a serious threat to the global economy. The global economy has a huge amount of accumulated debt. We've got huge amounts of hot money tripping around the world. Investment is slowing. We have distributional divisions mounting and slower growth. And if you throw higher interest rates and start cutting government deficits, there is little hope in that world of a soft landing. Which areas will be suffering the most and why? Well, it's a synchronised slowdown. I think we have to emphasise that. So all regions of the global economy are beginning to suffer. The point that we want to really stress in the report is that higher interest rates in advanced economies taken for their own concerns will have a very big impact on developing countries. I mean, it's difficult to make estimates, but it's in the trillions of dollars over the coming years as interest rates uh, rise in the north. You know, the UN Crisis Group report has estimated that something like 46 countries are in a severely exposed position. That That is their ex- exposed to shocks with respect to food prices, fuel prices, and the cost of finance. Another 48 are exposed to at least one of those uh, potential threats. Even a country like China. China has a lot more policy space and fiscal space than many other developing countries, and it will grow faster than most developing countries this year. But it's, it's, it's slowing, and it's got downside risk. There's a lot of places that I think in the developing world that are suffering. And, and in the advanced economies, obviously, we look at Europe because of the energy crisis. That's particularly tr- true of Germany. Um, but the UK, too, with additional problems linked to Brexit. The US is more ambiguous, 
The worries is how quickly the Fed increases its interest rates. You have a lot of firms that have loaded up with debt over the last decade. And you have a political uncertainty with elections in November. So to put this in perspective, what impact will this have on the average person or household? Now, the worst combination is higher unemployment and higher inflation, and that has a very profound effect on households. Um, you know, in, even in the advanced economies, take a country like the United States, in 60% or more of the working people are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. Of course, if you add austerity to that, the ones that will be the biggest victims are those at the bottom of the pile. The problem for developing countries is that they don't have strong welfare systems or a lot of fiscal space. So you get an increase in energy or food prices and it has a very, very visceral and immediate impact, not only on the poorest households in the developing world, but also on middle class households. Um, the report says tighter monetary policy will not solve the inflation problem. So why are rich countries doing it? It's an interesting question. I think what has happened is that the policy shift has essentially ceded policy authority uh, in the current moment to central banks. Central banks are seen as the only institution that can solve the problem. It's a very crude way of handling what is a, actually a very complex uh, problem. It can only raise interest rates, and that has potential consequences of triggering recessionary conditions uh, if they do that too aggressively and too quickly. What we need are much more targeted measures, uh, strategic price controls, uh, taxes on, on, on windfall profits, um, providing uh, support to those that are most vulnerable. These are political responsibilities of, of governments. And so that need to move to a much more targeted approach is what we insist on in the report. Part of the inflation problem is that large corporations have been using the opportunity of price uncertainty to mark up uh, their costs in ways that bring about huge profits like the energy sector and like the food sector. And that also breeds speculation. We've seen massive, in, in the case of agriculture, huge uh, uh, commodity uh, speculation. What role are international agencies playing in helping to avert a recession? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it's an imperfect role. The UN has stepped up to the plate. The initiatives that have come from the UN to ease the food price burden by finding ways of accessing Ukraine and, and Russian wheat uh, exports, I think, it has, has, had a, has had a real significant impact. We've already seen that in, in lower prices, and that's a real positive. And the financial side, I think um, the record is not so good. I mean, even if you take a positive, which was the $650 billion allocation of special drawing rights, which is the reserve asset that the IMF uh, distributes to its members, developing countries re received a relatively small portion of that, about $200 billion, mm -hmm. even though they are the ones that are most in need of liquidity. Mm -hmm. uh, support. A higher dollar makes it all the more difficult for developing countries to pay for their imports and to service their debts. One area that we think really does need immediate attention from the international financial institutions is the issue of uh, debt sustainability. And we've argued that we need a proper rules-based multilateral system to ensure timely and orderly working out of debt problems in countries that come under stress and threat of default.
So those, those are the kinds of solutions that we would like to see on the table to deal with what is potentially a crisis of bigger proportions than either COVID or the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Part of the danger of this focus on inflation is to focus on the moment at the expense of all these other problems, of which climate, I guess, is the most dramatic, but lots of other development problems get pushed to one side or, or, or in many respects worsened as a consequence of this short short-term focus. You told me once that you'd interviewed Russell Crowe in one of your earlier lives. And there's a wonderful line in The Gladiator, right at the beginning, um, where he says, what we do in life echoes through eternity, where things that happen now don't just last in the moment, but they do have long-term consequences. And I think economists and policymakers have forgotten about that. Well, I think that's a perfect note uh, to end today's interview. Thank you so much, Richard, uh, for being our guest again. That's Richard Coselwright from UNCTAD, who's this week's guest. And tune in to the Weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. And there's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now.